Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to The Call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Monday, the 19th of February. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have you with us. And our two experts on the show today, Daniel Teasy from Stock Doctor and David Lane from Ord Minute. Gentlemen, welcome to both of you. Great to catch up again, get your views on the stocks we're going to be taking a look at today. In fact, uh, well, we're going to, we better get straight into it because... Um, uh, we're also going to do a, a live interview with uh, Cathy O'Connor from Omedia uh, shortly. But the stocks we're going to take a look at are AGL Energy, Regis Resources, Omedia, as I mentioned, Telstra and Cochlear. That's in the first half. Our stock of the day is Seven Group. That's after it lobbed a takeover offer for full control of Borrell. Valuing the remaining 28% stake, it does not already own in the building materials maker to just shy of $2 billion. Under the offer, Seven Group will offer a minimum of $6.05 share in cash and script to borrow shareholders. And in a statement to the market, Borrell saying it recommends shareholders take no action on the offer. Adding an independent board committee has been established to review it. And Seven Group adding it will raise its offer for Borrell by another 10 cents in the event it achieves an aggregate 80% stake in Borrell or if Borrell's board unanimously recommends the offer to its shareholders or both. The offer would be increased by another 10 cents if Seven Group stake reaches 90.6%, the compulsory acquisition threshold. Back in 2021, in fact, Seven made multiple takeover offers for Borrell, which it kept rejecting, citing undervaluation of its business. It currently owns 71.6% of Borrell. So let's get to the view of our experts. And uh, David, what are your thoughts there? Obviously, uh, Kerry Stokes has been trying this for quite some time. Uh, and, uh, and Ryan, of course, Ryan Stokes. Um, what, um, what do you make of this, this latest bid to actually take full control? Yeah, well, it's, uh, I, I guess it's a sensible, you know, sensible strategy from uh, Seven's point of view. As you said, they own just over 71% of the business. So... Uh, they don't quite have full control, but they do have both listings. So they, they have said that it'll save them about $3 million a year as far as annual listing costs. Um, but then they're able to get further synergies with, with the overall business. The other smart thing that Seven are doing is using the fact that their share price is up as high as it is. So it's a predominantly script offer, um, about $1.50 of cash, but the rest is is script. So they're actually able to benefit from using the high share price uh, as you can see there seven have done very well as far as the the, sh the shares of their own business is concerned so it's a a relatively cheap way to to get full control of, of borrow um, smart business decision and it means that uh, seven are becoming a little bit more like a um, an Australian version of a, a Berkshire Hathaway type of business that it's a conglomerate that it, it buys good businesses and puts keeps management in in place but 
also has management oversight. So smart thing from their point of view. From a shareholder point of view, um, we've got a lighten on, on both Seven and Boral. So I uh, think it's a, probably would be a good opportunity for Boral shareholders to um, you know, potentially look at, at cashing out of the, the stock either through selling on market at current prices or holding on for the for seven. Um, we've actually got a light and recommendation on seven. So we think that the overall business is probably overvalued at current levels and may indicate you know, why um, seven are using their shares for this, this takeover offer as well. Yeah, given that elevated share price. All right, that would make sense. Uh, Daniel, what are your thoughts? Oh, the deal makes a lot of sense. I think it's t about time it is consolidated. Um, if you if you listen to the call with Vic Mansell about Boral, I mean, it's just fantastic how a, a change in management and a change in you know ethos of running a business can can lead to such big results. You know, he was talking about uh, in Boral when he joined, they were so far behind the eight ball when it came to pricing, and that had always been a knock on Boral. Like it was always known as the the lowest price, lowest cost provider, um, and and now that that's how they've they've led that turnaround. So. Uh, I think it makes sense to now get consolidated. Um, agree with David offering consult, um, consideration via shares. I think is a good idea at this point, given how much of the company they already own. It's almost like a, a share cancellation type of thing in Boral itself. Um, to talk about Seven Group for a moment, they had probably one of the best reports I've seen this period. West Track, you know, smashed it out of the park. Um, even the coach business was very strong and cash flow conversion very impressive. Twelve months ago, everyone was very skeptical. Of seven group gearing was you know over three times debt, net debt to EBITDA once they made the acquisition uh, and there were a lot of skeptics in the camp and and how far they've, they've proved them wrong so I'd probably be holding the shares um, yes they're exposed to certain cyclical risks as we know but we just had a call update uh, and, and guidance effectively saying that the demand for their products across the board in those divisions are very very strong order books are at very high levels as well so um, I think the shares are, are warranted to trade at current valuations um, and the quality of those businesses are, are just very resilient. The cash flow conversion as well has been above a lot of their peers in the mining services. So, you know, hats off to them. They've done a great job. I think the share price is deservedly so at very highs uh, and I would still hold them at this period. Uh, I think there's still more strength to come if you if you heard the, the, the commentary there. So you know, I've got positive things to say about them at this point. Yeah, okay. That's sounding like you're bullish all round, but a hold nonetheless but you're not seeing them overvalued at this point um not necessarily the earnings momentum there andrew that yep. i mean west track it, it smashed the park out of earnings and no one was really talking about it um the stock opened up like two percent on the day uh that really surprised me when we got companies like jb hi-fi profits down 20 percent, hitting 52 week highs so uh, that's kind of the story of reporting season for me just this really stark view and expectations for companies at the moment okay all right, that is our stock of the day, Seven Group. Let's get into the ones uh, as picked by you, but also has an earnings season flavour about it, given we've had so many report thus far. The first one being AGL, uh, picked by Hannah. Uh, net profit after tax, more than quadrupling. Um, and uh, that's thanks to greater generation fleet availability plus flexibility in the first half. And uh, it's uh, narrowed, it's, um, its guidance has been narrowed to the upper end of its range. Um, however, uh, there has been some uh, weaker sentiment about due to uh, perhaps where electricity prices are going. Daniel, what's your view then on AGL? 
Yeah, certainly AGL did have a good report, Andrew, like you mentioned. And the beat was driven by the, the those differences in wholesale pricing that they've been able to benefit from. And you've hit the nail on the head there. The, the forward curve is a lot flatter. Um, we're seeing wholesale pricing come down a lot. People don't mention this, but even if you look at somewhere like European gas prices, I believe they're either at or below the levels pre the Russia-Ukraine uh, invasion as well. So energy prices globally are starting to moderate. It depends on kind of the infrastructure change there as well, which is really important um, but but that's been the free kick for AGL here so in my view the forward looking expectations for the company is a lot more challenged we know that they have a huge amount of capex to come with the energy transition 500 million just on maintenance alone so that and and of course you know the like all utility companies are a very large debt position so in my view I, I think they've had their free kick they've benefited from the, the short-term uh, increase in in wholesale electricity pricing they've also had a, an issue with outage as well that, that we know well in Victoria in the last couple of days which may come back to cost them based on their kind of hedging contracts etc these are difficult businesses to understand I mean anyone who's read through the accounts of AGL or, or origin you know they probably need a panadol after because it is a headache so I think kind of you know short term these surpluses and best days are behind them i probably would actually be offloading the shares i think that that capex bill and the cost to transition is just so high um and you know you look at the relative returns that they're calling out of their projects the battery projects the renewables they're very low so um i'd much rather have my capital elsewhere if i had a you know a high conviction portfolio and and be looking at this as a time to sell even even though it's come down for those moderate highs Mm. i still think looking forward there are better opportunities out there so does that apply to origin as well Origin have a, a bit of a difference in their story, mainly because you know the, they're getting great margins from APL and G, and I think there's capital return upside there. Like they've clearly instated that they want to sell that down, and plus the octopus business, you know, if you look at the metrics coming out of that, um, looks like a, as well a very very strong um, a kind of a, a growth lever and business level for them too. So I, I think those are a, a, a kind of a, a better collection of assets. The power generation side, very similar comments. We know the capex origin need to spend, um, but if you look at you know their results and the cash flows and the dividends that, that, that they've uh, declared as well, mm. I thought it was better than AGL. So happy to hold Origin. I'd probably be selling AGL, um, but keep in, keep in mind, you want to watch those figures closely. It's not a long-term hold, in my opinion. All right, David, what's your view? Yeah, Daniel makes some very good points about the, you know, the, the longer-term outlook for wholesale pricing. And, and that, I think, has been factored into not only our numbers, but the market's numbers. Um, so we have a little bit of a different view on, on AGL in that we think it's uh, it's reasonable value at current prices. We've got an accumulate recommendation on it um, and a target price of, of $12. So think that there is value in the business. Uh, they are a low-cost producer. Um, the, the retailing part of the business is low barrier to entry and there's a lot of players in there. But as far as the, the electricity generation, um, AGL obviously has the the existing coal-fired power stations, which are low cost uh, and is moving towards energy transition and and renewable energy, as as Daniel said. So longer term, we see that there is value in that renewable side of the business, short term, low cost producer. Um, It's definitely not an easy path to getting there, but we think at current levels, it's, it's reasonable value. And how would you compare Origin with AGL then? Uh, 
We, we've actually got a hold recommendation on Origin. So mm. um, like the business and, and, you know, again, similar sort of view to Daniel, but tend to think that their their share price is fully valued, whereas AGL, there's a bit more uh, bit more value in the, the current share price. All right, that is AGL. Let's um, move into the resources sector um, in gold with Regis Resources. And um, this one is, in fact, picked by Logan. Um, yet to report, it's uh, December quarter showed production costs in line uh, with estimates. Um, does have accelerated capex, uh, and um, it to, did retain its its guidance there. David, what are your thoughts on Regis Resources? Yeah, I, I guess that the important part, as you mentioned, is that capex and and the fact that they are going through a uh, a reasonable amount of of capital expenditure over the next couple of years. Um, the share price has done relatively well, uh, so probably. I think that at current levels, I'd be looking at, at moving out of the stock. Um, good resources that they have, but they are going to spend or need to spend a lot of money over the next few years. So I think that there's probably better alternatives. Uh, we like Romelius resources in the, the gold sector at the moment and think that it's it's, it's probably a, a better stock. Um, so I'd be looking at uh, yeah moving out of, of Regis and into Romelius. How positive are you more broadly with the goldies at the moment, David? Uh, overall, I think we're we're reasonably positive. I think that the uh, you know, Australian gold producers have tend, tend to produce you know relatively low cost, uh, and their share prices you know are still a little bit below where they should be. So overall, relatively positive. Um, but yeah, you know Regis is probably at the the top end of the range. Yep. All righty. Um, Daniel, thoughts? Yeah, Regis, unfortunately, it's been like the bad news bears for the last five years. They've just had issue after issue, whether it was significantly overpaying for Tropicana. Obviously, the hedge book that they've had as gold prices have come up, you know, the, the dispersion between their hedged price and the and the realized price has grown. That's created a bigger liability. They've had a debt position as well. Um, and waiting for the development of McPhillamy's has, has been another um, headwind as well. And just when you think perhaps some underlying conditions are turning around, you know, that the hedge book's now closed, uh, McPhillamy's is getting closer to final approval and FID in construction, they get hit uh, on the head by South 32 and the royalty claim with Tropicana. So unfortunately, it just it's just been one thing after another for Regis. And for a company that's producing 400,000 ounces with decent operations uh, and has a growth project, you know, it's trading at basically similar levels than some of its peers, which are producing half the amount. Uh, and at the moment, that's warranted because of these issues. I, I was probably before that royalty announcement came out, I was thinking perhaps it is an opportunity, you know, it's offering very good leverage to gold prices. Everyone knows that cash flows are going to look a lot better now that the hedge book's closed. Um, but this this uh, this royalty deal now has, has come out and probably going to cost them another 50 million plus if you read some of the analyst comments. And, um, you know, I just think that's just another issue. And another issue in terms of capital mm. that they're going to have to go through. So I would have called it a buy, um, but 
based on based on that now with another headwind, I'd probably have it a hold. I think around the dollar fifty mark, you, you're factoring in some pretty conservative assumptions around the McPhillamy's development uh, and um, the debt position as well. So I think there's a bit of margin safety around there. Of course, depending on the prevailing gold price, but unfortunately, you know, Regis is just another reminder that gold miners do not always follow the gold price. Gold prices are hitting all-time highs in Aussie dollar, mm. and a lot of our mining companies are struggling. Cost inflation, poor capital allocation, um, you name it, issues with access and, and other jurisdictions, etc. So perhaps there is a reason just to invest in the underlying gold price. I mean, I'm starting to feel the capitulation myself as, as a bit more of a resource-focused analyst. Um, but, you know, perhaps in times like these, it is worth being contrarian. So hold at these prices. I would be a buyer at about $1.50. Right. But overall, there are challenges in this space, Andrew. Yeah, mind you, even the gold price has stalled just recently, given um, those bets on uh, imminent rate cut have uh, obviously dissipated in the States. Uh, Daniel, just quickly, what is your preferred play then in the gold space? Yeah, in the in the intermediates, we, we still like Gold Road. I mean, they were a little bit overvalued. And I think based on their update uh, for, for kind of calendar year 24 guidance, they got sold down heavily, which was deserved, probably based on the overvaluation. But I still think quality assets, quality upside with DeGray. Um, and I'm still I'm still quite confident with the, the outlook for Gruyere. You know, that's still a very low cost operation uh, and making great cash flows. Um, I would just urge anyone to, if you're holding the majors, maybe have a look at their recent cash flow statements and, and uh, just think about why that is when we have all-time high gold prices. Yep. All right. Okay, let's now move on to uh, Telstra, um, which has uh, reported uh, the first half results were in line with consensus. Uh, the management left uh, free cash flow guidance unchanged. Lowest guidance for its earnings EBITDA uh, due to slowing business demand for some of its transformational projects. Daniel, let's get a view then on Telstra. Yeah, when we're looking at Telstra, Andrew, we're really focusing on the mobile division because that's really the only avenue of genuine growth that they have coming through. And when you look at that result in isolation, it was positive. 13% EBITDA growth driven by operating leverage. We've seen the pricing or the average revenue per user start to tick up again. So from a thesis point of view, I was quite happy to see that. Unfortunately, they've had you know mild revision downwards in in the forward earnings expectations because of some issues there in in the um, the corporate um, fixed broadband segment as well. So, in my view, I thought the result was actually okay. The market clearly didn't like it. They're waiting for more asset sales, for more capital returns. But at this point, for Telstra, you know, I'm really just viewing it as a mobile predominant business. It's 40% plus of earnings, and the main driver of growth. I'm looking at is that division still firing. Um, and is the thesis still playing out there? I would say it is. The mm. rollout um, of network coverage is still going quite well as well. So, you know, I'm expecting as an investor here mainly to be here for the income. You know, I'm not really expecting growth and, and the stock, in my opinion, isn't really priced for growth. So happy to hold it. We hold it in our income portfolios. Um, the one thing I'd keep an eye out is obviously they've got a big build uh, coming up for the spectrum payments, we know they have. They typically carry a high amount of net debt. It really does depend at this point in the cycle how they manage that treasury, um, and of course, you know, falling interest rates would be a big positive for a company like Telstra because of their their capital structure. So I'm still happy to hold it. I think if you're an income investor, you would be holding it. But certainly, if you're thinking about significant capital appreciation, you know, it, that's not what's going to be in the stock from this point onwards. It's re-rated from those lows a couple of years ago before it had the tower 
our divestment. You know, I think market expectations for this stock are relatively in line. Um, and the dividend coming in is still about, you know, 6.5% gross, including franking. So, you know, decent returns for this business. Uh, happy to hold for income investors. All right, that is a hold on Telstra. Now, we're actually going to pause um, <laughs> before we get uh, David's response to his view on Telstra because uh, we're going to turn quickly to O Media. Uh, given its reporting uh, season, they've released their results today, reporting a near 10% pop in full year net profit on a 7% rise in revenue, driven by an increase in its billboard division with all other formats up on the previous year. Looking ahead, company expecting its out-of-home segment growth to continue with mid-to-high single-digit revenue growth for the industry in calendar year 24. Well, for more on those numbers and the outlook, we're pleased to welcome Chief Executive Cathy O'Connor. Cathy, great to catch up with you again. Thanks for joining us here on the call. Talk us through these numbers. How strong uh, are you feeling at the moment in terms of the company performance? Yes, thank you. Well, feeling very upbeat about today's results. Obviously, we saw a 7% increase in revenue for the year and uh, a 10% increase in reported profit. Uh, so feeling really good uh, that the year was a strong one for the company and feeling very optimistic about the year ahead. I think the, the most significant uh, thing that underpins our results and, and our future optimism is the growth that the out-of-home channel is having in media. And uh, we grew to 14.5% of industry revenue in the SMI database. And that was ahead of the historical high, which was 12.4% in 2019. So you can really see out of home now starting to rise in prominence in the media landscape. And as our presentation today showed, uh, along with digital media, it is the only channel to be showing growth since 2019. So I think that that puts into perspective the amount of fragmentation that's going on across media and the way in which our channel uh, and its mass reach appeal is really resonating with our customers. And not just fragmentation, of course, uh, in that sector, but also, I guess, more broadly, what's going on with the Australian economy at the moment. I do see that some analysts pointing out that structural growth of retail media will provide a headwind. How do you see that? So there's two versions of retail media. There is uh, the shopping centre media that we currently represent, and then there is the rise of in-store retail media, which is getting a lot of commentary across the media landscape. And so we're a very large operator of uh, shopping centre media and we are seeing good growth in that channel and it's certainly ahead of 2019 and we'll continue to uh, enthusiastically operate in that space. But in-store retail media is projected to be a $2.8 billion market in 2027 compared, uh, uh, according to Morgan Stanley. So our new business Rio is the way in which our company is going to participate in that big new uh, addressable market. And what we do as an operator of out-of-home screens is support retailers to build out their in-store screen presence and in the process of doing so, we develop a separate, new and distinct revenue stream for the business and one that is ultimately a service fee income, uh, which gives us some diversification against that ad revenue that, uh, that the rest of the business is built on. So feeling very good about retail media 
And yes, I think it will be a big change in the way advertising and advertisers look uh, to really merge that what we call above the line and that in-store uh, effort so you get a full strategy. So we think we're well positioned to participate in both ends of that that shift. And you talk about uh, developing innovative new revenue streams. Can you just expand on that? Sure. There's a lot of innovation going on in our home. So things like using data to better target and uh, and isolate audiences across the different forms of out-of-home, different geographies of out-of-home, all of those things are things that we have built into our capabilities and that we're working with marketers on. And that's in adding to the share of wallet that is increasingly going out of home. Uh, new innovations like 3D morphic video, that's uh, where the billboard itself jumps out at you. Um, not possible in every part of the out of home network, but it's certainly of high appeal to advertisers at a 30% increase in the number of campaigns that are using that technology. And then I think I will give you a Taylor Swift example because everyone likes to do it. And uh, this week we had a campaign uh, by a radio network on our billboards that changed the kind of home creative when the Taylor Swift songs were being played on the radio. So that type of innovation and creativity is really what's bringing our channel prominence and the way it's been used in ways that it never has before. And that's what's created the movement of share what out of my Yes, Taylor Swift is inescapable, isn't she, at the moment? <laughs> Kathy, uh, I note that uh, you did lose your vicinity uh, retail contract. Um, what's that cost you and have you managed to offset it? Of course. So retail, uh, the way we need to think about the retail channel in our business is think of it as a network. So we have a very uh, large retail footprint nationally and the majority of our footprint is focused on the medium to large centres. So even without the vicinity contract, uh, the total footfall of centres that are represented by O to advertisers is 10 million higher than the next operator. So the vicinity contract was one that renew. Uh, and we expect we're going to retain 30 to 50% of that revenue onto the balance of our network because of its scale. And uh, while we would like to retain that, we've always got to be focused on profitable share. You know, the balance between the rent that you pay and the advertising revenue that you deliver. And where uh, you feel that contracts place unprofitable share, then we have this great scale as a business that gives us the optionality to make a decision. And so no one contract is worth more than 6% of our 2023 revenue. And that's the breadth of Omedia. And it's one of the reasons why contracts will come and go, um, but ultimately our growth trajectory has been pretty solid right throughout that. And how's your debt position looking at the moment? So we are maintaining our gearing at 0.65. Uh, so balance sheet is very strong. Uh, and our board has previously said gearing up to one times is about right for the business and the market that we're in. So uh, running a strong balance sheet position at the moment. Cathy, terrific to get the update from Omedia. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
All right. Well, fresh off the back of that interview, let's get some uh, some reaction to it. We're just reconnecting with David. So let's go back to Daniel. Um, Daniel, your thoughts on what is a challenging... Oh, actually, no. We've got David, I should say, is with us. David, I'm going to come to you. I hope, um, hope you managed to uh, actually listen in to part of what Cathy had to say there. But um, look, it is, has proved to be a bit of a difficult uh, operating environment. But how would you describe Omedia's result? Yeah, it was an excellent result. And I think we're seeing in, in the market today a very good response to, to that result from a share price point of view, currently up about 4.5%. Um, so yes, as uh, you know, as was outlined in the interview, the result for out of home uh, media has been very strong. Uh, we didn't really talk about the media part of seven when we were talking about them earlier in the day. But what we've seen on traditional television advertising is that's been declining fairly significantly. But there has been that that increase in in out of home advertising, and certainly O Media has been doing very well as far as that's concerned. Um, very well managed business and once again the, the result uh, reflects that. Um, our view on the stock though is that they're probably a little bit overvalued at current levels so we've got a whole recommendation on it. Um, think that it's well managed and, and very good business but mm. probably would like to see the share price a little, little bit weaker or a little bit cheaper to, uh, to before we invest into it. Okay. Daniel. Yeah, it's not really our type of stock that we look for, Andrew. Um, it's a very competitive industry. Obviously, we know that these types of advertising businesses are highly cyclical and, and they can be very challenging at times when advertising dollars pull back. So, you know, decent operating result for the company to produce. I know from following the company in, you know, in past years, they have been notorious for kind of leveraging up and taking big risks to grow earnings per share. Um, and, and that's come back with some capital raises and, and, and recapitalizations in the past. I hope those days are behind it by the looks of the gearing. Mm. It does look to be in a, you know, a lot more solvent position. So, you know, nothing particularly wrong with the business. Looking at consensus estimates, it's not trading at what I would think would be a very expensive price. It, it looks relatively decent value, but it's probably not the type of company um, that we would be looking at to invest in at Stock Doctor. We're probably looking for something with a few more tailwinds behind it. We just know how difficult the advertising industry can be. Um, David hit the nail on the head. Look at Seven West Media, the operating deleverage they had. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it would have been something like you know 10% revenue decline, 60% earnings decline. So we know these things can be very challenging. Yep. Um, yeah, I'd probably, if I held it, would be happy to hold it here on that result, mm. but not really looking at it from our view at Stock Doctor. Okay, all right. Now, of course, uh, in the middle of that, we were sort of talking about Telstra. So, uh, David, let's uh, complete that uh, analysis there. What uh, what your view is on Telstra off the back of its results? Yeah, look, I think Daniel provided a, an excellent overview of, of Telstra, uh, and we've got a fairly similar sort of view. Our recommendation is uh, an accumulate on them. Um, think that they're probably reasonably valued at current prices based on where the share prices got to recently. Um, you know, it's got a target price of $4.50. As Daniel said, the mobile part of the business is, is growing and that's the, the, uh, you know, the long-term growth driver of it. Um, and as well as the fact that you get a paid a reasonable dividend of 4.5% uh, fully franked. So yeah, it's a good portfolio stock that, that most clients have got in their portfolios uh, and see no reason to, to change that. So a hold? 
uh, accumulate. So accumulate. yeah, think oh. that there is value at current levels. Yep. yep. Good one. Okay, let's uh, now move on to another company that's just reported, uh, Cochlear, and uh, in fact, uh, just it's uh, hiking its dividend nearly thirty uh, percent. That's after a thirty-five uh, percent to jump in first half profit, and uh, it's a stronger than expected sales of hearing implants, which saw sales rise fourteen percent on revenue over one billion dollars. So on the outlook, the company expecting positive momentum the first half to continue into the second. However, it's paused its on-market share buyback program given the high interest rate environment. So David, let's get your view first. Yeah, I think it's a situation of buy on rumor, sell on fact with Cochlear that uh, we've seen the share price rise fairly strongly. So the market had been anticipating a a fairly good result. Uh, We have seen them come off a little bit today, uh, down about 1.7% at the moment and that concurs with our view we've actually got a sell recommendation on cochlear um excellent business but we think that the the growth over the next few years is is probably going to tail off for for cochlear uh current levels think that they're overvalued the um, target price that we've got is is significantly below we've actually got a target price of 220 dollars so it's a Mm. significant decline in where they're currently trading um so i'd be looking at moving out of the stock and think that there's better value in some of the other uh, healthcare companies like CSL and, and ResMed, I think, are, are probably better value uh, current levels. Interesting. You view then that its best days are perhaps behind it. Um, Daniel, interested to get whether you share that opinion then. Uh, I'm a big fan of Cochlear. Um, I think it's one of the best businesses on the ASX by far. It, it's always had the knock of valuation. That's always been the main criticism of it. And, you know, on a trading multiples basis, it's fair. You know, it trades at like 50 times forward earnings or something like that. But understanding the business model, you know, that the way that they effectively grow their pool of business over time, they, they obviously surgically implant the cochlear device into children at birth who have hearing deficiencies. They're a customer for life. They get the four-year, I believe it's around four-year software upgrade at significantly higher margins than the, than the initial device sales. So, I mean, it's hard to value this on a multiple basis because they have these lifetime customers that are there paying them um, very high margins on these upgrades, you know, every, every few years and they have a large pipeline of that. Um, and we know effectively as a percentage of market share, even though they're at 60%, they still continue to climb uh, relatively firmly as well. So I think the valuation piece, it's a lot more complex than perhaps comparisons and, and PE multiples because of the, the structure and the, and the way that their business operates. They have that growth inbuilt for it, um, even without device growth because of that. So, you know, we're still happy to hold here. It was the same story 12 months ago. We started to see that return to elective surgeries, improvement in device sales. Um, but the, the question was always valuation. A lot of lot of brokers were calling it a sell. Um, and the, the share price, as we know with any company, will be very volatile. But uh, our view is that this is one of the best businesses. Give it, give it a hold. Um, keep it in your portfolio. Uh, you look at the compounding metrics over time, and they're very good at reporting that in their presentations. And they look excellent. So uh, we're happy with Cochlear. We're happy to hold it. But you've got to keep in mind, yeah, it's it's a long-term compounding business. It's not a re-rate story. It's definitely a long-term view. All right. So let's sum up where we've been for the first half of the show then. Our stock of the day, Seven Group, it's off the news that it's trying to complete its buyout of Borrell. 
Uh, David's saying, well, that makes sense. Um, sees the cost savings there plus those synergies, uh, but he's seeing it's, it's overvalued. He's uh, got a lightened recommendation on it. Um, and uh, Daniel also saying about time uh, they complete this. He's got a hold on seven group to the stocks as picked by you off the back of a lot of earnings results we're getting agl being one of them of course uh daniel saying uh, he's got a, a sell on agl uh, particularly with a view that wholesale prices where they're going and overall retail prices plus its high capex spend uh, whereas david's seeing uh, some good value there for agl at the moment so they've got an accumulate on the stock regis resources in the gold space um a uh, David, um, he's got a trim recommendation. His preferred play there in the mid cap of gold is Remelius. Uh, David, um, talking about its royalty issues it's dealing with at the moment of his Tropicana purchase, um, he's got a hold on it, does prefer Gold Road in that space. Now, of course, we just heard from Omedia, Kathy O'Connor, the chief executive there. Uh, she's very pleased with its result. Market also liking what they're hearing at the moment. David agrees, although he does see it as overvalued at this point. He does have a hold on the stock. Uh, David's saying decent value, also a hold on Omedia. Uh, Telstra, um, Daniel pointing out very much media, I mean, um, mobile focused at the moment, a hold, whereas David's got an accumulate on Telstra. And just finally there, Cochlear, which also has reported today, David Assel, saying an excellent business, but uh, its growth likely to weaken from here on. In fact, uh, currently at $328 a share, target price there from uh, from more than $220, so substantially lower. Uh, whereas um, Daniel saying he's one of the best businesses on the ASX. He has a hold on the stock. All right, now the call is tracking its own high conviction fund picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. Checking in on the update, going into February, Challenger was sold and Santos added to the portfolio. Weightings of CSL and Macquarie were reduced and added to AUB and Karoon Energy instead. In terms of performance, so far the fund is up 25% on a cumulative return basis since its inception March 2022. So keep sending in your requests, keep the call switched on to see what the committee is going to be looking at next. Next half of the show, we're looking at Nick Scarly, Data3, Commonwealth Bank, Chrysos and PEXA. So we better make these a little briefer given uh, we're running out of time. But uh, to our sixth talk, it is Nick Scarly, picked by Robin. Uh, it has reported see a lot of resilience in these retailers too at the same time a net profit a beat um in fact uh the own the beat the company's own guidance range um and uh, better than expected gross margins there as well daniel how do you view nick scarley yeah and we talked about this at the start of the show didn't we andrew the kind of the paradox of reporting season where you've got you know significantly lower profits year on year but stocks are beating you know expectations and hitting 52 week highs if not all-time highs so um look nick scarley we like the business we know the history of the management the, the fantastic job they've done compounding over the longer term we'll keep it brief this is what i'll point out obviously we know that the first half was going to be poor comping a strong result revenue down 20 percent profits down 20 28 what was notable to me was that only one net new store 
you know, added since June 23. So probably not really a growth story here. The plus acquisition and, and the margin improvement they've made there certainly played out. But the market is effectively saying, you know, FY24 numbers don't matter. We're focusing on rate cuts. We're focusing on the macro. Um, everyone's going to turn back to a strong housing market. Therefore, you know, Nick Scarley should be at X multiple and, and X all-time highs. I'll probably disagree with that statement. So I'd rather be out of the stock at the moment. We know retail's a cyclical business. And if they don't have underlying store growth, then they're not you know, necessarily a true growth story. So happy to step away and sell Nick Scarley for now. But um, you know, it's, it's one of the better retailers. Keep it on your watch list if the, if the share price has a change there. Yep. Okay. But uh, somewhat, uh, well, now is the time to, to sell them, you're saying, given where the share price is. Uh, David, do you agree? We're making a few markets here because we uh, <laughs> tend to have a bit of a different view. <laughs> um, yeah, we're certainly an excellent result uh, and I guess belies the fact that you know, we've all been looking for a while for a slowdown in, in retail and, and Nick Scarley's results didn't indicate that. Uh, and as Daniel pointed out, the margin improvement from Plush is, is a positive for them and the fact that management have been able to keep us under control is is a big tick for management. So we actually think that Nick Scarley is, is one of the, the better quality uh, retailers and that uh, current prices, even though we have seen their share price rise, that uh, probably be looking at a, an accumulate on the on on the stock at current levels, given the, the long-term uh, growth that, that they have potential for. Yep. Okay. As you rightly say, you've just provided a market there, a, a sell from Daniel and accumulate there from David. All right. Let's then move on to uh, Data 3, our next stock. Uh, that is as picked by Philip. And uh, it uh, does provide uh, information or well, IT solutions there. Um, and what out, uh, out last week, in fact, with an update on its results. Um, David, what can you tell us? Yeah, again, it's, it's uh, another you know, good quality business. They've been around for a long time and uh, very solid management. Um, the, the result was disappointing as far as the, um, you know, the, the market was concerned. So we did see a, a big decline in the share price. Um, but that was really more that they missed expectations. Other than the result being, um, you know, being a poor one for a long time, that share price decline that we've seen um, recently, I think, is, is probably a, a decent opportunity to, to enter the stock. Okay, um, so that's a buy then. Yeah, at current levels, yeah. Right, okay, given that uh, that recent drop off the back of its results. Uh, Daniel? Yeah, not a business I'm too familiar with. Always followed it from afar. Um, for, for context looking at the show, I'm pretty impressed by their ability to compound earnings over the last five, six years. You know, they've done a really good job, hence why the, the share price has been uh, very strong over that time as well. What I will say is, like David mentioned, it was all about expectations. And you know, technically, from a dollar view, they met expectations. But I think they're a little bit cheeky there and in including you know, a pretty big interest income profit there as well of about $6 million, uh, holding higher cash balances. So overall, I, I thought some of the underlying trends were very good. Margin 
margin at the bottom line was actually maintained um, really well. We know that these are super low margin businesses, these managed service providers and, and distributors. But I think there is a bit of cause here for this D rate to, to get a little bit more acquainted with this business and look a bit deeper. So, look, if I knew it a bit better, perhaps I'd have higher conviction to call it a nibble. Um, but at this point, I'd certainly be holding the shares and just trying to dig a bit deeper into some, into some of these uh, underlying trends. But certainly does look interesting from our point of view. I have to give it a bit deeper of a look this reporting season, Andrew. All right. Okay. That's a hold then. And a buy from David. All right. Let's get into one of the biggest, um, well, certainly the biggest lender, Commonwealth Bank, off the back of its results. Uh, net interest margins did fall by seven basis points in the first half. Um, had elevated multiples there, declining earnings outlook. Um, so I'm interested then to get the view. Uh, Daniel, let's start with you. Yeah, I will keep it brief here and talk in generalities because everyone knows CBA, right? Everyone follows the results. Um, what I'll say is that, you know, our, our financials analyst is kind of been one of the only people I know who's actually had a positive rating on CBA. Uh, and certainly over the last 12 months, he's had a, you know, a preference for CBA over its peers. The reason why is around kind of the risks to the banking sector at the moment with reducing NIMS and higher funding rates. CBA has the best position there, one, because it has the lowest cost of capital, uh, and two, because it has the best kind of um, funding mix from from the deposit rates there. So he's actually been one of the few people I know that's been positive. That story's played out. It's been probably the, the best performer, I believe, amongst its peers. Uh, and certainly the higher risk regionals have really underperformed. So overall, we're still underweight, the banking sector. But, you know, we would much rather play CBA or NAB, mm. even though they are more expensive, if we had to own them, because I think their earnings are going to be a lot more resilient. So, you know, perhaps valuation, it is important. But sometimes, you know, these businesses are showing that they trade at significant premiums for a reason. I think it's prudent to manage risk. I'd certainly be trimming CBA. Like I said, we are underweight the banks. Um, but, you know, I think that premium valuation to some extent is justified. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, David, look, pretty much at record highs there. How are you seeing it? Yeah, similar sort of view. Uh, CBA does command a premium and, and has continued to command a premium over the other banks. Um, we've got a whole recommendation on them and, and think that there is better value in uh, in Westpac, ANZ. Um, and even if you have a higher risk profile, the likes of BOQ that have actually been sold off quite a bit, think that there is better value there. Um, but having said that, CBA keeps commanding a premium because it's done a, an excellent job over the years. And uh, yeah, their, their last result sort of shows that they've got that customer loyalty. They've been getting a lot of uh, inflows as far as deposits are concerned, and that sort of you know, provides the, the ballast for their overall business. But uh, current levels got a hold recommendation yep. on them. Okay, that is CBA. Right, our next one we're going to take a look at is Quissos. Um, it is a provider of assay services to the mining industry. And in fact, um, owns the patents on the uh, CSIRO developed photon assay technology. Uh, so in, in mining services as such, look, not a company I might be familiar with that I can't, having recall, not done it on the call before, at least I should say. So, uh, David, what, uh, what can you tell us about Chrysalis? Looks like David might be frozen. So, Daniel, let's go to you. Well, as far as the, you know, the oh. business is concerned, their last result was a little bit under uh, and they've had some installation uh difficulties but 
overall the business is um, you know is quite a good business. They've got a good customer base. Uh, so again, probably be looking at an accumulate recommendation on them at, at current levels. Think that there's you know further upside in the business, but being in technology and being a fairly small company, it is uh, a you know, little bit on the risky side. Okay, nonetheless, accumulate for you. All right, Daniel. Yeah, fascinating business. It's one when it IPO'd, I think I got wrong. I was very skeptical um, when it came to the market and thought, geez, this is very capital intensive uh, to build and, and, and install and sell these machines to customers. And yes, it has a great recurring uh, monthly asset payment in response to that. So it has a great stream when they're installed, but thought, you know, it'd be difficult to get capital. And, you know, for a period in time, that was right. But quarter on quarter, period on period, that management seem to be doing a really good job uh, in growing the overall installed base. If, if you're not too familiar with this company, I think it's worth doing a bit more reading and, and that's why I'm happy to spend a bit more time on it. You know, go have a look at their, their presentations and, and do a bit of Googling about the difference between photon uh, and um, and fire assays, particularly for, for gold analysis as well. I think you might still start to see greater adoption of this used by gold miners globally. What, it reduces what's the, their what's reliance. the benefit of photon assays then? Yeah, so photon assays, they're effectively a much faster way of analyzing mineral samples. And it's only really used commercially for copper, gold and silver at the moment. Um, it's photon assay uses effectively like almost x-ray, um, x-ray analysis of the, of, the, of the samples. Whereas as we know, fire assays are manually done in crucible. So they're burnt at like, you know, 1200 degrees Celsius, takes a long time for technicians to do this. Um, and it can be quite costly and labor intensive as well. So Photon assays are a lot quicker, and the machines that that Chrysos develop um, have great tech. They're actually, you know, fully automated to some extent. So, definitely worth if you haven't um, at the moment, Andrew, trying to get the CEO on it and talk about the story. It's mm. one I think is worth following. If, you know, current valuation, it is a bit rich. If I held it, I'd stay in it because you know they they did a nice capital raise and secured some some facilities. I think with CBA to expand that capital position. But um, yeah, certainly one that I think. Uh, warrants a lot more interest from investors. It's a great story, I think. All right. So, what's your call on it? Happy to hold it here, mm-hmm. um, but certainly if it if it falls, I think it might be worth a nibble. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's round it out with Apexa, the uh, property settlement uh, company. Uh, weaker than anticipated revenue from its uh, business segments, and look, it's also trying to crack the UK market at the same time. So, and of course, a lot of this based on movement of property, of course, and what's going on in the property market. Uh, Daniel, your view. Yeah, well, everyone who's dealt in in, uh, in the housing market in Australia should be very familiar with PEXA and their settlements exchange. Um, you know, when it listed, obviously, it, it's grown market share, and it's now the, you know, the only player really in that in that um, electronic settlement um, mortgage market, and it's it's done a great job replacing the very paper heavy um, documented market that it once was, and we have those markets globally. So that's the story of PEXA. It's got the monopoly in Australia. It earns, I think, eighty percent gross margins, fifty percent. EBITDA margins in Australia, monopoly business. It only grows volumes really through property listings and refinancing. We know refinancing activity as interest rates have gone up has slowed. So that's been a headwind to its earnings in Australia. Globally, it's spending a lot of money on this 
on this story in the UK. Uh, and that's where I'm taking a bit of a seat back. They're, they're just spending, you know, an enormous amount of capital um, and they're really kind of swinging for the fences to try to grow this business. You know, if it was just the Australian monopoly, perhaps I'd be more interested in it. Um, but, you know, it, it is something worth following. There's also some regulations that are starting to come out in Australia. Perhaps they have to open up their exchange platform to competitors. Um, that regulations around the interoperability. So it's worth doing some reading about that if you are a shareholder. My view at the moment, I probably would prefer not to be in it. Um, Andrew, just from a risk management point of view, they do have a bit of debt on the balance sheet, um, spending a lot of capital on this on this expansion, recently done an acquisition as well. So I'd prefer to be watching from the sidelines, mm. but you know, it is a fantastic local business. If they repeat that success, you know, the shares are probably worth at least double what they are now. So you know, one to watch in our view, but a little bit too too speculative on that story for us right now. Is that a full-on sell or you'd be trimming from here? Oh, look, I, I think I would actually be happy to sell just because some of those risks, um, even though the share price has been bombed out, uh, just because if we know the, the track record of expansions in Australia yeah. and the time it will take to displace these types of markets, you know, it's it's very long. And, you know, if you know the history of PEXA, I'm taking up a bit of time rambling, sorry. It required all the banks to collaborate and use this platform um, and they had a financial interest in it as well. So, you know, the, the barriers that it needs to climb and my view they are pretty high andrew all right well let's see if we can continue the trend given that uh, daniel is a seller david does that mean you're a buyer <laughs> i i was about to say we should do some business afterwards because uh yeah we, we actually uh like it we've got an uh, accumulate recommendation on it um but having said that as you mentioned andrew the the revenue was softer and the the result was a little bit softer so the the analysts have downgraded their forecasts and downgraded their valuation but having said that, the divisions that um, you know, were, were the problem in the result are relatively in, immaterial to the overall business. So, uh, again, we've got an accumulate recommendation, target price of $15. So think that there is some upside in it. Uh, think that that UK expansion, while it is a long-term play, does have a, a lot of potential benefits, as, as Daniel uh, said. And the other part of the business that's interesting is the the PXA Pay platform. So they're looking at, at connecting the, the core banks into the, the system uh, to have a, a more sticky revenue uh, long-term as well. So I think that current current prices, it's it's reasonable value um, and yeah, happy to be buying them off, off Daniel and, and their client. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys can resume your business after the call then. All right, let's, uh, let's sum up where we've been for the second half of the show. We began with uh, Nick Scarley, uh, the retailer, of course, which uh, has impressed many, uh, given, I guess, the broader state of what we're seeing in the Australian economy at the moment. Uh, Daniel, though, um, he's saying, look, it's run hard. He's got a sell on it, uh, whereas David has an accumulate, uh, saying, well, it is one of the best retailers there. They've got faith in the stock. Uh, data 3, David, a buy. Um, particularly since it uh, has come off significantly off the back of its last results. Um, David, uh, Daniel, I should say, a hold, uh, but saying the underlying trends there look good. CBA, the uh, biggest lender of them all, of course, off the back of its results. Uh, we've got um, a, a trim from Daniel, and uh, but it's saying it is, the be- is, it is the best position of the big four. And Daniel pointing out does command a premium there a hold, uh, seeing better value in perhaps Westpac and ANZ. Uh, Chrysos Corporation, 
Uh, David, a good customer base there has got to accumulate, though does point out the risk there. Uh, David pointing out rich valuation. Uh, he's got a hold on the stock. And finally there, Pexa, uh, as we heard, uh, Daniel has a sell on it. And David, and accumulate. So that is uh, the show for today. Let's uh, thank our guest, David. Thanks for joining us from Woods. Thank you. Pleasure to be here again. And Daniel from Stock Doctor. Good one. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. All right. A reminder, our next virtual investor event is open for registration. The Bond Revolution is your complete guide to maximizing returns and minimizing risk using fixed income strategies. In the current interest rate environment, we'll delve into all kinds of different bonds and the overarching thematics which impact their success. You can register free at osbiz.co slash bonds. That's the address there on the screen. That is the call. Uh, any stocks you'd like us to cover, of course, you can go to osbiz.co forward slash call picks or write us on the platform X at Osbiz TV. See you again tomorrow. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.